Have you ever made a gift for somebody? I mean, maybe when you were younger, you uh, created a little birthday card for mom or dad and gave it to them, or, or maybe you just did a color sheet for somebody that wasn't feeling well, or maybe even when you got older, you actually made something that they could hang in their house or maybe put in their office. Uh, maybe you actually went out and spent money on some gift, and then you had everybody over for the big party. And uh, a lot of folks came over. There was some story swapping, some back slapping. There's some cake on the table. And it was just a fun night. Everybody had a great time. And the person uh, that you wanted to honor was fully honored. They opened the gifts. And then uh, finally, at the end of the evening, everybody goes home and the cleanup begins. And so as you're walking around the house, kind of picking all the trash up, putting the dishes into the kitchen area, what you discover on the table is the gift that you gave. Hmm. They left it behind, maybe unintentionally, but man, that's a dagger to the heart, isn't it? I worked hard on that. I spent money on that thing, and this is what they think about it. I mean, it's a gift given from the heart, and yet they left it behind. My guess is maybe sometimes in our life, Jesus might feel like that too, because the truth is Jesus has given us the greatest gift of all time, hasn't he, church? given us the gift of eternal life, of forgiveness, of grace and mercy. He's offered us inclusion into his family, the idea of adoption. We are the children of God. The greatest gift that any of us could ever hope for was given to us by Jesus Christ. But my guess is for some of us in our faith walk, he might feel like that gift has been left behind on the table. We claim to know Jesus and we claim to follow him, but there might be some things in our life that that bring into question whether or not we're as passionate for him as he is and was for for us. Because the truth is we currently live in a culture that is currently called the meh culture. It's kind of like, well, maybe. I'm not really committed one way or another. And you give any topic, given any topic, and it's just kind of like, eh, maybe. They're just not really into it. I mean, you can get involved in people's lives and ask them, hey, how's, how's work going? That new job that you got, yeah, it's, it's okay. How's the football team going? Yeah, well, you know. How the, how the kids doing? Are they behaving well? No, there's a definite one on that one. <laughs> but for most of us, as we interact with folks around us, it's just kind of this idea, yeah, maybe. I'm not sure exactly what I think about that. And so for the next three weeks counting today, we're going to dig into this idea of hollow follow, and we're going to talk about discipleship. What does it mean to follow the risen Savior? What does it mean to fully commit and cash in all the chips and say, you know what, I'm all in, I'm sold out for Jesus Christ. What does that look like in your life and my life? And my guess is over these next three weeks, I'm going to probably step on some toes, but I'm going to be unapologetic about it because I'm stepping on mine too. We all have to be reminded, what does it mean? to follow Jesus? What does it mean to be a fully in tune with, discipled people? What what does it mean to follow the one that gave us the greatest gift of all? Because most of us in here would say we absolutely love Jesus, but we find that we at times have distractions in our life that kind of pull us in one direction or another. There's a church that Jesus addresses, and it's in Revelation chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me there. The text will be on the screen as well. But there are seven churches, actually, that Jesus addresses in Asia Minor. And he's calling them, um, first of all, to affirm what they're doing for the cause of Christ or to call them to task 
for what they're not doing in kingdom work. And then there's some folks in between there somewhere. And the one church that I want to look at this morning is uh, in a town called Laodicea. That's kind of a hard word to say, but Laodicea is one of those churches that he addresses. And we discover that they're really kind of this uncommitted group of followers, that they have been distracted by the world around them, and they're really kind of indifferent to sharing the gospel message and to being fully dedicated followers of Jesus Christ like we have been called to live out each and every day. They've kind of become a, eh, church. What are those? Now, Revelation was written about 90 A.D. by the Apostle John, and uh, in it he really calls to task, using Jesus' words, the churches that have been established in Asia Minor. Laodicea is one of those comeback churches Why do I say that? The letter was written in about 90 A.D., but in 60, roughly 60 A.D., there was a big earthquake that leveled much of the city of Laodicea. And Rome loved the city so much that they offered money to rebuild the city. They wanted it back up and running. But the Laodiceans, they've got a lot of pride, a lot of self-sufficiency. I can do this on my own. I really don't need anybody else involved in the process. And they refuse the money because we've got enough resources. We've got the manpower. We will rebuild our city. And they do just that. And they rebuild a, a beautiful outdoor amphitheater, a beautiful stadium, beautiful uh, public baths. There's a, a beautiful marketplace. I mean, kind of think about uh, our modern-day Las Vegas. It's got all the bells and whistles, lots of lights, lots of money in the city, lots of different things that are very attractive to folks around them. That's kind of where they're at. But the one thing that they don't have is water, kind of like our modern-day Las Vegas. And so what they ended up having to do is pipe in water from other, other cities. And so they build two aqueducts, and one of them is attached to the city of Colossae, the other one attached to the city of Heropolis. Now, at Colossae, they're known for their deep wells and their cold, cold water. It's sweet water. It's the kind you want to drink. And then you've got Heropolis, who's well known for their hot springs. And so they have these aqueducts bringing in cold water and hot water. But guess what the water is once it gets to Laodicea? Lukewarm. It's not hot nor cold And it's a little bit dirty. And Jesus is going to call that church in Laodicea to task using words and phrases and ideas that they would be very, very familiar with. Our story begins in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, beginning. Jesus says, I know all the things you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. The Laodiceans at one time were passionate for the cause of Christ. They were on fire for Jesus and the gospel message. But for whatever reason, they got distracted from the task at hand, from their priorities and and their purpose. And they began to be indifferent. Jesus is saying, listen, you are spiritually stale. And you're indifferent to the culture around you, those that are lost and need to know who Jesus is. It's almost like I gave you a gift and you've left it on the table at the party. And I want to remind you 
that I've given you the greatest gift that you'll ever have in your entire life. Now, the literal translation when it says, I want to spit you out of my mouth in the Greek, it's actually translated, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. It's very detailed, very specific. And Jesus is saying, your indifference not only breaks my heart, but it actually nauseates me. It makes me sick in my stomach. And so over the next um, few uh, Sundays, I want to kind of have that idea at the forefront of our table and call us to think about our discipled walk with Jesus. And what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean to be fully in, all in, chips and all? Here we go. I want to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world around us so that we can become passionate again in a world that is absolutely in darkness and lost. We've got a story to tell, don't we, church? We've got a story about an incredible Savior named Jesus. But there are two causes, really, for spiritual indifference in our life. And the first one is that this illusion of self-sufficiency exists in our life. It's a very Texas way of thinking, right? I can pull my own bootstraps up. I don't need any help. I got this on my own. I'm as guilty as the next person. But we think that we don't need any help. Jesus goes on, look in verse 17. He goes on to say, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And what you don't realize is that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You believe that you have it all. But the truth is, you are missing the one thing that you need the most. And it's Jesus Christ. It's him being the the head of your life the leader in your life, the one that has your entire heart. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt in our city, in our nation, that if we really bought into that, if we really believed that Jesus is the key to life and life eternal, that we would have to deal with less racism and we would have to deal with less uh, egocentric lives, that we would be less self-centered, that we would be focused on taking care of our poor and those who are in need. Church, we're a nation that has everything that we truly need. But Jesus is reminding us you're spiritually void. You don't have at the front of your life the thing that you need most, and that's Jesus Christ. Your life is full of stuff, but empty of meaning. The half-brother of uh, Jesus, uh, a guy by the name of James, he wrote the gospel or the uh, letter of James uh, in our New Testament. He says in verse, or chapter 1 rather, he says, uses these phrases. He says, you are enticed and dragged away. Both of those phrases in the original Greek are hunting and fishing terms in Greek culture. Who do you think is hunting and fishing for us? Well, it's our enemy, Satan, who's trying to detract us from living out the gospel message in our lives, from pursuing Jesus Christ as the number one thing in our lives. So we have this illusion of self-sufficiency, but we can also fall to the distractions of this world. You remember a few weeks ago in Mark chapter 4, we talked about the parable of the sower and the four different types of of ground that exist. And one of those was the one that was very weedy, lots of weeds uh, where, where things are sown. And as uh, the crop begins to, 
to bust through the ground as it begins to grow, those weeds kind of crowd out what could have been a really good crop. And Jesus actually names the three different things in that parable that kind of get our attention and detract us from the purpose that we have in life. He says that there's a lure of wealth, there's the distractions of this world and the desire for things. And what Jesus is trying to remind us is that when we have those things around us, it can detract us from exactly who we're called to be in Christ. And for some of us, that's our story. We started out passionate and on fire for the cause of Christ. We, we leaned into what he called us to. We had new purpose and a fire within us. But then suddenly, life began to happen. And we got distracted from what was going on around us, what our true purpose was, and really focusing on the other things in the world around us. And it's not that we don't care. We love Jesus. We just got detracted from what our purpose is here, and that is sharing the gospel message with the world that is absolutely lost. Look, in the south, in our part of the country, it is, it is easy to say that we love Jesus and then just keep living life like the rest of the world around us. It's easy to have a little bit of Jesus and we feel safe in the moment because after all, we were baptized as kids. We, we come to church at least twice a month. We drop $5 in the plate and all of that makes us feel safe and good and productive in kingdom work. But church, we aren't moved to grieve the lost world that we live in. We're not challenging ourselves through the Holy Spirit to reach out and tell the story of Jesus that those around us so desperately need. We want to cash everything in is, is the way we should be living and saying, Jesus, you are the number one thing in my life. I want to live for you. Show me how to do that on a day-to-day -day basis. So the question that we might have this morning as we roll through these ideas is how do I know if that's where I'm at in my faith journey? What are the things that I need to be aware of so I'm, I'm cautiously moving forward, rebuilding the passion I once had for Christ, lighting the fire that I have within me? How do we know where we're at on our spiritual journey? And in the 30 years of doing ministry, I've kind of compiled five or six different things that could be red flags for you and I in our faith walk. How do I know that I've kind of moved away from focusing fully on Christ and being on fire for him in the world around me? There are some indicators that you and I can be aware of. Number one is this, that we're more concerned with impressing people than living for God. And you can see this on our social media feeds every single day. Now, most of you realize that football season started again, and here we go. Uh, you'll notice on my feed that I'm all about Oklahoma State football. We don't always win the games, but I'm alum, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to root for them. I'm going to post those. But more than that, I want to post things about Jesus Christ. I want to post things about my faith. I want to post things about how much I'm in love with a guy who saved my life by giving his life. We are the generation right now who needs so much affirmation. And I post things about where I'm going and what I'm driving and what I'm eating and what I'm wearing. And I want to see all you guys like, 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 love, share that. And we need affirmation rather than just affirming what God has done for us. We're more concerned sometimes about what other people think than loving the God who loved us. 
A second indicator might be that we're obsessed with life on earth rather than, than eternity. It seems to be that the world around us is all about how much I can get now. We have this idea that he who dies with the most toys wins, but the truth is he who dies with the most toys just dies. <laughs> it's just how it is. You don't get to take it with you. But we're, we're consumed with what we can get now. What are the things that we can have now? And the Bible reminds us, if you love the world, the love of the Father isn't in you. We're called to live differently as disciples of Christ. Another indicator might be we rationalize sin and live without really fearing God or respecting God. We rationalize the sin in our life. And we've become really good as a nation of renaming the things that God really condemns. And so, for instance, we've taken pornography and now we call it adult entertainment. We take adultery and we call it an affair. And then I use the spotlight to take it off of me because actually I'm a little bit better than the person back there and I'm a little better than she is over here. Take a look at their lives and we get mixed up thinking that the comparison is you and I when really the comparison is me and Jesus. That's who I'm called to really look like in life. And then I begin this cycle of, well, you can't really judge me because you've got stuff in your life. And so we do really good at rationalizing the things that don't look a lot like Jesus in our life. Another indicator might be that we believe in Jesus, but we rarely share our faith. That was what this last series was all about, tell a good story. And you and I committed to one another to say, look, there's one or two people in our lives that we know by name in our circle of influence that we're going to listen to their story. We're going to lean into them this school year because we want to tell our story about how Jesus changed our life and how Jesus could also change their life. I mean, church, if we truly believe that the gospel message was so incredibly important, that it was life-giving, why would we keep that to ourselves? Why not share that with folks around us? And there are lots of ways to share the gospel. I mean, that lingering moment in the driveway as you interact with your next-door neighbor, the way you, you spread hospitality just while you're at the grocery store. I mean, use your social media feed for that, the Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook, to share what God's done for you in your life and let the world know where he sits with you in your journey. Some of those indicators might also look like we only turn to God when we need him for something. Rather than just seeking him daily, we seek him out when it benefits us. When there's a problem in our life, when there's a, a thing to be solved, when there's a difficulty, that's when we go to him. Rather than living him out every single day in our life, he becomes a tool that we use rather than a God that we worship. And the call to discipleship is that we would live every single day in such a way that our God is glorified in our life through the good and the bad. And the truth is, some of us, we're just not much different than the world around us. Do you know, in Christian circles, the divorce rate is the same as the outside world. We watch the same movies, we go to watch the same Netflix shows. We listen to the world about how to raise our kids and how to live out our marriage. We spend money much the same way. And what happens is we, without realizing it, we wake up one day and we are incomplete, spiritually indifferent. While we said yes to Jesus years ago, we find ourselves not as passionate 
about living that out every single day in our life. And we just kind of become, yeah, for Jesus. We're falling into that cultural milieu. Just kind of, hmm. And I think COVID didn't help us much any because now we've rationalized staying away from each other when we're really called into community together to love on each other, to help each other, to support one another, pray for one another, bear each other's burdens. There's a whole lot of one another's throughout the New Testament that we're supposed to be living into. We get to questions like, hey, do you want to join a small group? Do you want to be a part of a connect group so we can dig down together into the Bible and discover how we're called to live? Yeah, a small group's just not for me. Yeah. How about, will you teach our kids the story of Jesus on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night? Yeah, somebody else will do that. Well, would you use your giftedness to serve somewhere in, in kingdom work? Yeah, I, you know, I've got things I'm doing in life. My schedule's kind of full. Would you, would you give of your resources to help kingdom work somewhere else in the world? Yeah, I'm kind of saving up for something different. And that kind of attitude doesn't just break Jesus' heart. It turns his stomach. So the question is, as we find ourselves in this moment, is to ask ourselves, how do, how do I reignite the fire? If on some level one of those things kind of resonated with you as it did with me, as discovering, you know what, I, I could be, should be more passionate about my faith journey, my faith walk. How do I reignite the kingdom living that Jesus calls us to? And normally I'd give you a great big list of things to do, but what happens is you look at the list and then you, uh, you go, wow, that's a lot of stuff. Uh, I probably won't do anything. So I'm not going to give you the big list today. This is the challenge I want to give. This is the takeaway today. I'm going to give you several things, five or six different things. And what I want you to do over the next 28 days is circle one of those things and say, for the next 28 days, I'm going to do that one thing. I'm going to do that. You can't pick the thing that you already do every day, okay? You got to pick something new. Not letting you off that easy. Pick one of those things that you don't really do and lean into it for the next 28 days. And so the first idea is this, be in God's Word every single day. Discover that moment of time, maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes as you're having your cup of coffee in the morning or maybe at your lunch break or right before you go to bed that you can lean into the Word of God and just drink it in. Just be a part of that transformative Holy Spirit working through God's Word to help you be a different person. For the next 28 days, you bet, I'm going to read God's Word every single day. Guess what? The book of Acts has 28 chapters. Pretty easy to read a chapter a day. Book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, 31 chapters. Pretty easy to read a chapter a day. You're done in a month. And uh, pour into that. Let God's Word just kind of wash over you as you slowly read that. Be in God's Word every day. And maybe you haven't done this yet. Maybe it's join a connect group. And you've kind of kept that at arm's length. You're not really wanting to gather with a bunch of people maybe here at the building or in someone's home. You're not sure how that would work out. It's kind of might, might even be uncomfortable to you. But you can get on our website and you can find all of the groups that are meeting, what times of the week that they're meeting, who's leading the group, what they're teaching about. And find the group that works for you and say at least for this semester to the end of the year, you know what, I'm going to be a part of a connect group and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig into the Word of God with another group of people and discover how I should be living my life. Or maybe for you, you're, you're really not a prayer. You, you don't know how to pray. That's what you would say. It's simply talking to God. 
But maybe right now, today, you're going to say, you know what, for the next 28 days, I'm going to be someone who prays every single day. I'm going to dig in and, and ask God to show me, help me discern, give me the wisdom I need, and I'm going to become someone who prays every single day. There's not a right or a wrong way to pray. There's no time of day that's special than another day. You do it when you find time, but make sure it happens every day. I'm going to talk to God. Some of us think this next one is pretty hard, but share your faith. It's that lingering moment in the driveway, as I've said, where you're just talking to your neighbor about what the good things are that God's doing for you in your life and asking them to reveal the same. And it could be just using your social media to get the word out about Jesus Christ and what he's done in your life. That's a great way to share your faith, using social media. Maybe it's just fellowshipping with other believers. And so maybe for you, you're a kind of a Sunday morning kind of Christian. And so you, you come on Sunday morning, but you're really not involved in anything else. But for the next month, you're going to make a decision. I'm going to come to everything that my church offers. I'm going to be a part of that. Now, if it's a women's Bible study, guys, don't go to that, okay? That's, leave that for the ladies. But there are moments where you can come, for instance, next Sunday night, our unity worship that's going to happen here in this room is going to be a great time to be together. Maybe that's not a normal thing for you, but you're going to say, I'm going to fellowship with other believers in the context of this month. Or maybe it's just that I'm going to make sure that my, my life every day is an outflow of worship. It's more than just a Sunday morning moment, and so I'm going to need to change the radio station that I listen to in my car on the way to work and the way home. I'm going to get that that verse of the day on the Bible app to pop up on my phone so I see it. And it's going to be an everyday occurrence for me, not just once a week. What's the one thing that you can do over the next 28 days that will reignite your faith walk? Because every day, church, you and I have to do something that requires faith if we want to grow in that way. Every single day, you and I have to do something that requires faith. Every day, we have to do something that requires faith. Every day, we have to allow the Spirit to work in us to do things that we could not do on our own. And we have to trust that the Holy Spirit is leading us in that direction to focus on something, at least one thing over the next 28 days. And why do I keep saying 28? It's because all the experts out there say if you do something for 28 days, it becomes a habit. And that's what we want. Our spiritual disciple life to just become a habit, total worship to God every single day because of that gift that Jesus Christ has given us. You see, the Bible tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God. But James also goes on to say, faith without doing something is dead. And so the call this morning is that you and I would have the kind of life where we are exhibiting our faith through the stuff that we're doing in life, and all of it goes for God's glory, not for mine, not for yours, but for God's glory. We want to follow that risen Savior, don't we, church? We want to give our life fully to Him. We want to cash in all the chips, and I want to say, you know what? I believe in a risen Savior, and I know what He can do for me in my life, and I'm going to start living in such a way that the people around me are going to start asking some questions. What is going on in your life? And it's the great opportunity for me to say, let me tell you a little bit about a man who did everything for me. His name's Jesus. And there may be some of you here this morning that have never said yes to Jesus, You've never given your life to him. You've never been baptized into his name. And the challenge this morning is that sitting there, you would say, you know what? I need Jesus in my life. I'm not waiting one more day. We had two baptisms last week. 
Today, we can make it several more. For those of you who are thinking about following Christ, today's the day. Don't waste another minute. I'm going to go ahead and ask our shepherds and their wives to go ahead and get up and gather around the wall of this room so you can see who they are. But there might be some of us here this morning who have been distracted by the world. At one time, we said yes to Jesus Christ, but for whatever reason, our eyes became unfixed off of Jesus. We were no longer looking at Him, but what's going on around us. And so, as we sing this next song, I want you to be brave and get out of your seat. Go find one of these couples. Let them pray for you and over you. That whatever that distraction is would be released from you. That that God would do some incredible things in your life from this point moving forward. I know God has great things for you in mind. He loves you. Gave his son for you. Wants so much for you. But you and I have to surrender. We have to say yes to the gift rather than leaving it on the table. So together as a family of God, let's stand and raise our voices to one holy God.